Okay, well, I always try to start off with a thought question, as you know. <clears throat> Sometimes it doesn't work, but anyway, I'm just kidding. But uh, What's the difference between a false prophet and a false teacher? Do you know? Yes, Roy? A false prophet brings new revelation, whereas a false teacher misteaches old revelation. Very good. Amen to that. That's right. A prophet says, I, I got new revelation. That's right. And a false teacher just twists what's already here. That's right. Amen. Well, let me ask you another question. What's the best way to guard yourself against falsehood and false teachers? Ah, truth, right? The best protection against error, against falsehood is truth. Exactly. So um, how do you equip yourself then? Well, the, the better you know the word, the more equipped you are, right? the more uh, discerning you can be. Uh, if you don't know the word, you're kind of in a very vulnerable position. So uh, the issue of truth is, is so important. And, and why is it so important? You know, we have a huge volume of scriptures that addresses false prophets and false teachers. Why is it so serious? Eternity is in the state. Ah, how do you get to heaven? The truth. The truth. You get there via the truth. So ultimately, in terms of the ultimate issues, the truth is at stake, eternity is at stake. How about as believers? Our eternity is already settled. What's that? Our reward. Yeah, right. Fruitfulness, right? Uh, being useful uh, versus getting off track and, and not being fruitful. So exactly. Okay, one more question. I, I've got more than one thought question tonight, don't I? When you think about false teachers, let's zebra in on them a little bit. False prophets go anywhere, but false teachers. Uh, what are some main areas where they really, uh, where it's really concerning? Where we'd say the first thing we're going to look for, as far as uh, trying to weigh and discern whether this is a false teacher or not. Uh, what kind of things are we looking for? What areas? The gospel. The gospel. Boy, we're going to start right there, right? And what kind of a gospel are we talking about? Jesus. Grace, right? It's a gospel of grace. Uh, what else? Okay, the person of Christ, right? Fully God, fully man, right? The Trinity, uh, those kind of things. So yeah, those are just some things that we would look for uh, to start with. Uh, person of Christ, the Trinity, um, the gospel. Okay, let's talk about it. Uh, page 165, false teachers. The great issue in life is knowing God's truth is revealed in the Bible and found in Jesus Christ. God reveals truth. Satan seeks to deceive. God has his truth teachers and Satan has his false teachers. This involves spiritual warfare, which is war over truth. It's a truth war. That's what we're involved in. It's a truth war. It's not a physical war. It's a truth war. In the end, God's truth and those that align with it will prevail. You know, we're, we're, we're going into the kingdom. It's those that are uh, holding to the truth. So, okay, first question under uh, God's truth there. What did Jesus say is truth in John seventeen seventeen? Yeah, th thy word is truth. Right. I like to say the Bible is my fact checker. Right. I don't trust any other fact checkers because uh, they don't get the fact of the matter right <laughs> so much of the time as far as I'm concerned. But the Bible, and I'm talking spiritually, of course, you know, so we think about life. And uh, you don't want to look to the world for, you know, what's true as far as spiritual truth, because the world doesn't have it right. Um, God's word is truth. Okay, n next question. What was Jesus' truth claim in John 14, 6? Yeah. And what's a key word in there? Ah, that's it. The. Uh, I am the way. You know, he's not one of the ways, right? I'm the truth. He's not part of the truth. He is the embodiment of truth. And he is the life. He's not some of the life. He's the totality of life. He is life. So, I mean, just think about this. Even from a rational just standpoint, who but God could make such a claim like this? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Only God could make a claim like that. I mean, you want a statement on deity. That's a great one right there as far as I'm concerned. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, next question. What is the contrasting condition between the whole world and that of God's people as seen in 1 John 5, 19 through 20? 
The whole world is where? Where are they at? They're under the sway of the wicked one. And, but we know, right? We have an understanding. Christ has come into the world and given us an understanding that we might know God. That's right. That's the difference between us and the world. The devil's got the whole world under his sway, which means they are deceived. As we will see, he is the deceiver, and, and, but not us. In contrast, we have an understanding. We know the truth. We know ultimate truth. How wonderful that is. I wouldn't exchange the truth for anything in the world. It's, it's invaluable. Okay, and then finally, the last question on that page. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, according to Colossians? I really should have verses 2 and 3 there, but verse 3. Yeah. Christ, Messiah, exactly, in whom are hidden all the treasures. Again, the full package of wisdom is found in Jesus Christ. All right, any other thoughts or input there? Yes, Tom. John 14, 6. Uh-huh. I don't know of a more offensive verse in the Bible. Right. That's true. It's so narrow, don't you think? Could flatten it out and be a little broader, be a little more, you know, appreciating of some others, find some common ground. Right. Yeah, it is very narrow and it's very offensive, really. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna take what Jesus said, it's gonna alienate all the other religions in the world. And so, yeah, that is extremely offensive to the world out here. That's very pluralistic in its thinking. It says, you know, hey, we need to have a very broad tent here, and and can't we just all get along? Yep, you're right about that. Okay, anything else? All right, let's go to the next page, uh, page 166. Satan, the master deceiver. And I often say he is very good at what he does. It's the one thing I give Satan credit for. He is good at what he does, isn't he? He is really good at it. I mean, uh, if you're going to excel at something, you don't want to do this, but he is good at what he does. How did Satan cunningly start his deception of Eve in Genesis 3.1. What did he do there? Just slide? Yeah. You know, he didn't come in there and say, you know what, God doesn't have any idea what he's talking about. Let me just tell it to you like I I see it. (laughs) No, he came in there really subtle, didn't he? And and what did he say? Has God indeed said, and and really serving to, to plant seeds of doubt in the mind. I love people that do that, really I, uh, sarcastic. I don't like it when they do that. <laughs> Plant seeds of doubt to undermine. Uh, boy, that's the oldest trick in the book. It's the devil's trick. It's what he does, and he's very, very good at it. As he planted seeds of doubt in, in Eve's mind there. Challenging God is really what he did, and that's uh, the oldest trick in the book as far as Satan's work. Uh, next question, how did Jesus describe Satan in John eight forty four? How did he describe Satan? He's a murderer and a liar. What? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's right. Meaning what? He says it's the father of lies. What's that mean? Yeah, he's the, he's the original liar. It uh, kind of gave birth to all the other liars. That, that's true. But yeah, uh-huh. That is interesting to think about for all eternity. I thought about it. I was like, that is the very first non-truth. And now mm-hmm. it's so hard. I mean, we only have one source of truth. <laughs> right. Everything else is a lie now. Yeah. Got lots of lies now, don't we? Yeah. Well, that's true. I mean, you get into eternity and to just think how God is eternal, eternal truth. Um, it does blow your mind. That's for sure. Yeah. Let's think about this for a little bit. He's a murderer and he's a liar. How is he uh, a murderer? Uh, I mean, did the devil kill Abel? Separation. Separation? Separation. Okay. Well, did he actually kill anybody? He's a murderer. I mean, if you're a murderer, you actually do it. How does he do that? Ah, he's a murderer and a liar. I think those go together. 
The way he gets people killed is through his deception, through lying. That's what happened to Adam and Eve, right? I mean, the day you eat of it, you'll die. Who was behind that? What was the devil? The murderer. The liar who sucked them into it. They bought the lie and said, oh yeah, this is good for us. It will make us wise. Let's eat. Uh, well, um, physically, uh, he's not a physical being. So that's what I'm getting at. You know, as far as we think about physically killing somebody, we're physically doing something. So, you know, as far as the, the powers that he has, I mean, it's allowed of God there in Job, for example. And certainly uh, he is responsible for a lot of death out here. But as far as, uh, you know, are you thinking about the, uh, like the, when the storm came up and, f- and the, fell on the, the children there, the, the house fell on the kids and they all died and that kind of thing? Is that what you're thinking about? Yeah, it would seem it was. So in that sense, yeah. Um, as far as physically causing, you know. But through, through natural means in that case, you know, through a storm, that kind of thing. And we get into it, it gets complicated because God is sovereign over everything. And, I mean, God does control the weather. We know that from a volume of scriptures. But in that sense, it does seem that God allowed him to have some power to do that in that situation. And so, yeah, uh, you know, that probably be as close as you get as far as actually physically killing somebody through, through an act of nature in that, in that case, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, his intent is to murder, and I'm tying it in this verse here, especially to lying, because that's what Jesus does. He's a murderer, and he's a, he's a liar, and he's the father of lies. So, so I'm really thinking his, his massive work in terms of what he does out here in the world is largely through deception. That's how, he, that's how he's responsible for most people's death, I think. Yeah? Right, right. They were, they, they were, they were, right. They were not going to die if they didn't sin. That's right. So then all death, human death, is because of that. Right, ultimately. Ultimately. So uh, you just said that he is responsible for a lot of death. But in reality, he's responsible for all death. Right. I guess I'm thinking about, you know... Uh, intervening type of acts, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, ultimately in the sense of sin that you're talking about, yeah, that's right. Goes back to, goes back to uh, that fall of mankind. That's true. We're all tied back there, ultimately, as far as death. That's true. Okay. Well, one thing about him, he's a bad, he's bad. He wants you dead. He wants people dead. And he, and he uses lying in a big way in the process. Not that there aren't occasions, uh, like you mentioned, Job, where it could be uh, even some natural means that God allows sometimes. Okay, uh, according to Revelation 12, 9, what is the extent of Satan's deceptive activity? The whole world. That's why I say he's good at what he does. Deceives the whole entire world. The world is deceived. Uh, and at the most important point... And that is over the whole issue of God and his salvation. Uh, the whole world is deceived. Okay, uh, how are Satan's workers described in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen? Boy, what kind of a, what kind of a minister is that? A, a, a minister of righteousness. What kind, what kind of things are they doing? <laughs> but let's zero in on that word, righteousness. A minister of righteousness, what are they doing? Now, they're not really ministers of righteousness. But they are disguised as such, right? But in the disguise, 
What is righteousness? Good things. Right things. Things nobody could argue with and say, well, that's a good cause. Like you're saying, or this or that. And yet, it's deceptive. Because what they're really all about is uh, anything but righteousness. But Satan himself, as it says in the previous verse, is transformed into an angel of light. Boy, that's, pre- that's pretty impressive deception. So, um, yeah. All right. Uh, last question there on that page. Who has blinded the minds of the lost so that they do not see the truth of the gospel in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 3 and 4? The God of this, yeah, the God of this age, small g, right? Yeah, the the God of this age who is Satan. But I want you to, before we go to the next page here, I want you to note that word mind. He has blinded the minds of those who who believe not. Uh, It's it's a mind problem, right? I mean, this this is a a blindness of mind, a blindness of thinking. They don't don't think right. Um, The real battle is for the mind. It's a mind issue. Uh, Dave Brees wrote a book. He was a guy who had a radio program on the Christian radio years ago. For all you youngins, wouldn't even know who he is. But, but anyway, Dave Brees wrote a book uh, called uh, Seven Men Who Rule the World from the Grave. And you know what that book was about? It was about people like uh, Charles Darwin, Karl Marx, uh, Sigmund Freud, etc., etc. Uh, how do they rule the world from the grave, do you suppose? Through their ideas. Right. Ideas that took root and are still impacting the entire world in one shape or form or another. So, uh, yeah, that's that's where the battle is about. It's about uh, it's about the mind. Okay, Uh, any other thoughts input before we move on to the next page here? Okay, let's go on to page 167. God's people will never completely abandon the truth, but they too can be misled. What was Paul's concern about the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11.3? What was he concerned about there? Yeah, from what? From the simplicity that is in Christ. Uh, It's interesting. Not from the complexity, but from the simplicity that is in Christ. What's the idea of that simplicity there? Well, um, it's really the idea of, of singular devotion. Simple devotion that's uncompromised. That's the idea of simplicity. Uh, it, it's pure and simple versus corrupt and complex. And uh, the devil really likes to confuse and muddy the waters. And, and really, a lot of times when you boil it down, God's truth is not difficult. It's, it's, it's very clear what the issue is. I mean, think Adam and Eve in the garden. I mean, it's, okay, got one tree here. Don't eat of that tree. Is that simple enough or what? <laughs> it wasn't complicated. Uh, he's concerned and he's comparing. Uh, he says, lest uh, you be deceived like uh, Eve. He's concerned lest they, they uh, be deceived from the simplicity that is in Christ. Okay, next question. What was Paul's concern about uh, the Christians in Colossians 2.8 and then verses 18 and 19? What was his concern here? Right. Exactly. And uh, he says that no one cheat them. And and one one of the things he says as far as how might they be cheated? Ah, through philosophy and empty deceit. I want to zero in on that word philosophy for just a moment. Uh, Philosophy literally means love of wisdom. And uh, what is uh, the idea of wisdom, uh, uh, the philosophies that he's concerned about, that somebody, uh, you know, false teachers could cheat you? Uh, the idea is a cheat here is to, to take captive, to hijack that, that idea. And uh, how could they do this through philosophy, love of wisdom? Well, it's really the idea of uh, a philosophy is a theory to the meaning of life. That's a philosophy. It's a theory concerning the meaning of life. And, you know, there's all kinds of theories out here. This will fill your life. This is where you find meaning. This is where you, you, you find your purpose. That's a philosophy. Sure. Yep. According to the traditions Well, that's for sure. As far as the, the traditions of men, you're right. According to the traditions of men. 
Right. Right. It's not lining up with God's wisdom, with God's truth. It's according to the philosophies of men. And the, the traditions, you're right. You've got all kinds of traditions related to religion there in the Catholic Church. would be one example. Uh, all kinds of examples out here. Yeah. Um, okay. Anything else? Okay, false teachers, 24-3. What is the exhortation of the Apostle John in 1 John 4-1, which happens to be our memory verse, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, what is the exhortation of the Apostle John in 1 John 4-1? Test the spirits. Why do you need to test them? See if they're of God. And furthermore, because... Many, many false prophets have gone on the world. Just a couple on the loose out here? No, there's a whole bunch of them. Many, many false prophets. So let me ask you a follow-up question here. Okay, we're supposed to test the spirits whether they are of God, right? How do you test the spirits? I mean, you can't see them, right? It's not like you say, well, a spirit is now approaching the pulpit. I mean, you can, I guess, a spirit is in me. <laughs> but I mean, a, you know, a demonic spirit. I mean, how do you test the spirits? Where do they make themselves known? How do they make themselves known? Ah, there you go. They do their dirty work through people. Uh, demons do their, their teaching through false teachers, etc., etc. So how are we going to test them? Yeah, we test them by the word. We're analyzing you up and down here. Does this match up? Does this work? How's this? Yeah. Your best life now doesn't really seem to fit what the scripture says since it speaks of a better life to come, right? <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, what does the Spirit warn about in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3? It's going to happen in the latter times. They will depart from the faith. Doing what? Giving heed to deceiving spirits. And doctrines of demons. Boy, uh, this does not sound good, does it? And, uh, of course, it, it's, it's not. It's, it gets back to what we said. Uh, how do they do their dirty work? Well, uh, doctrines of demons are put forth uh, through false teachers. That's, that's how they get their word out here. It's not like some demon's holding a seminar somewhere. But uh, he's working through some guy who is holding the seminar. That's how it works. Okay, Jesus told us to beware of what in Matthew seven fifteen through 20? How do they come? In sheep's clothing. Well, what's that picture? What's that kind of a picture? Uh, false prophet in sheep's clothing. How's he look? What's that? Ah, sheep are, look very gentle. They don't look harmful, right? They look safe enough. I mean, this is very deceptive stuff again in, in, sheep's, in sheep's clothing. And by the way, what, what are God's people called? Sheep. We're sheep. He looks like one of us. He comes off just like one of us, just one of the sheep, right? I mean, he's not looking like a wolf there. He, he's, he's looking like just a regular sheep, part of the deception. Look good, look gentle, look harmless. Look like one of the sheep. All right, any other thoughts? Okay, next page, page 168. Paul's exhortation is to watch for what in Acts 20, 29 through 31? Savage wolves who will come. Uh, and where do they come from? No. The savage wolves come from where? They come from outside. In, in this context here. Savage wolves come from outside. But then he says, also from among yourselves will men rise up, speaking perverse things. Seeking to do what? To draw the disciples away after themselves. Uh, false teachers always have a self-agenda. They want their own little following. It's not so much that they want to point people to Christ as they want people to follow them. And uh, savage wolves uh, from the outside um, who will come in, 
what's, uh, what's that picture? What, what do savage wolves do to the sheep? Eat them. All right. They exploit them. Take advantage of them. Very destructive. Exactly. And uh, these, uh, these ones from the inside also speaking perverse things, it seems to me they got a very uh, self-oriented agenda. They're not thinking for the good of the sheep. They're thinking about self-promotion. They want to draw the way the disciples after themselves. And uh, I would remind you here that Paul in this context says that uh, he warned everybody night and day for how long at Ephesus? Three years, night and day. And he says, watch, watch. Boy, we've got to be vigilant. You say, I don't think it's going to happen to Southview. Well, yeah, you better watch me. <laughs> we all need to watch everything that's going on all the time as far as teaching. Yeah, the devil is a, is a master at getting people into position where he can wreak havoc. Uh, he's just good at what he does. Okay, uh, what did Paul say about those who preach another gospel in Galatians 1, 8, and 9? Yeah, that's the idea of a cursed. What's that? Twice. Twice. You mean he said it again in verse 9 after he already said it in verse 8? I think he had a stuttering problem, didn't he? <laughs> it was an emphasis. Repeats it twice. Uh, if anyone preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. Bang, bang, repeats it twice. That is a really serious statement. Probably the strongest statement we have in the New Testament as far as uh, how serious it is to... Uh, be an accurate gospel teacher. And in context, uh, what is the gospel that he's talking about here? I didn't have verse 6 down in here, but in context, he says, I marvel that you are, are so soon removed from the, the grace of Christ to another gospel. So the true gospel is the grace of Christ. And what is the grace of Christ? That's right. Grace is favor. Christ did it all. Uh, we owe him everything. That's the gospel of grace. Uh, now, now, we have to do something, right? Well, we have to receive. That's true. But as far as the actual doing, as far as our salvation, Jesus Christ did it all, right? I mean, on the cross, it is finished, he, didn't, he said. Uh, so we don't add anything to that. Uh, as believers, we're saying, I believe it is finished. I believe Jesus alone is Savior. It is, it is the gospel of grace. It's unmerited favor. He did it all for me. I don't deserve it. I don't earn it. I don't work for it. Let's think about this for just a little bit since it's such a serious issue as far as false teaching. How do people corrupt the gospel of grace today? I mean, is anybody doing this, or are almost all the churches teaching a, a pure gospel out here, a, a grace gospel? They add to it. What kind of things do they add? Work. What kind of work you got to do? What's that? Oh, yeah. You think that's a work? <laughs> well, it's something we do, right? That's a work. Absolutely. And Paul said, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So we don't have to wonder if baptism is a part of the gospel. It's clearly not. Uh, you mentioned the, the Catholic Church. I mean, it's, it's one of the, uh, well, it's the largest uh, cult in the world. And, uh, you know, it's through this system of sacraments that we try to get ourselves right with God throughout our whole life. And finally, we have last rites. And then we go and continue paying for it in purgatory until we're purged. Boy, if that's not a work salvation, nothing is. If that's not contrary to grace, nothing is. Uh, you've got all of these out here. Though. A lot of moralism, all kinds of things enter in. Good works. Uh, yes? Subtracting? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I say you can fall off either side of the horse. And so you're right And subtracting in terms of, that's why I emphasize the gospel is believing in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It goes together, right? I mean, you have to acknowledge Christ for who he is as Lord and as well as a savior, uh, his, his person and his work. And so, yeah, a lot of people like, we don't do, deal with Christ so much anymore. It's just, what's that? Yeah, just be loving like John says, you know, just everybody be loving here. 
God's a loving father after all, right? Everybody goes to heaven. We know that because we've gone to enough funerals. We hear it. I mean, you ever go to a funeral where they said, this person went to hell? I never say that, by the way. <laughs> I will say God alone is the final judge. I, I, you know, we're going to leave this with God here. Uh, but, uh, all right. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Let me play the devil's advocate. I hate to play that, but uh, they would say to you, we do believe you're saved by grace. Ah, exactly. And how do they define grace? The sacraments are the means of receiving the grace, which is another way of saying we receive grace by works, which is a total confounding of everything that's biblical for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. And I've dealt with people at length on that, on that chapter right there, for sure. They get all over me. It doesn't say we're saved by faith alone. In fact, it says, you know, not by faith alone. <laughs> round and round we go. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Gospel of grace. Double whammy. Let them be accursed if anyone preaches another gospel. Uh, what does Second John 7 through 11 warn about? What's that? Deceivers or false teachers. And what, what is the warning, though, that John is warning about doing a relationship to them? They bring false doctrine into the church. They do, and therefore, what should we not do? Welcome them. We should not welcome them. I mean, don't bring them in and say, hey, it's good to see you. Christian love, come on in. No, we don't receive them, John says, lest you be what? Well, <laughs> but he says it in a certain way there, lest we be partaker uh, of their evil deeds, lest, lest we kind of endorse that and we promote that, uh, support it. So we don't, we don't want to, uh, we don't want to help false teachers at all. Uh, it's not that we're going to be mean to them, but uh, we're just not going to uh, be a part of what they're about. We're not going to facilitate it. We're not going to endorse it. We're not going to help them in their evil deeds at all. Uh, we got to draw a line there as far as false teachers. Okay, any thoughts? All right, a few more questions here on this page. In 2 Timothy uh, 3.13, or 2 Timothy 3.13 warns of what condition in the last days? Yeah, does it sound like things are going to get better? I mean, seriously, folks, are you awaiting the great revival of the end times? Where is it? I mean, in the Bible. I always hear these charismatic A revival is coming! What kind of revival are you talking about? I mean... Yeah, I'm not sure that's what they got in mind. (laughs) I would say there's going to be revival in the tribulation period, really going to be massive revival in the tribulation. There's going to be multitudes of people saved and give their life for it, of course. But there's going to be, a, I think, a greater turning to the Lord in the, in the tribulation period. Personally, I think there's going to be more people saved then than there has been throughout the whole course of the, the whole history that's gone before. And so, in a sense, the tribulation period, which is the worst time in the history of the world, is really a mercy of God in that sense, where many, many people under the direct hand of the Lord in the day of the Lord will turn uh, to the Lord in a, in a massive way. Oh, no. Nope, I don't think it will. <laughs> that's for sure. Yep, that's right. Okay, but, uh, you know, people talk about the signs of the times. Uh, you know, we're not really, uh, the church isn't really given signs. The church began suddenly and silently on the day of Pentecost. It's going to end the same way. But there are trends and, and really the mega trend that I see emphasized in the scriptures as far as the last days of the church age is this whole issue of apostasy. Uh, that's the big, if you're looking for a sign, the big sign that evil men and imposters grow worse and worse. Okay, uh, Paul appealed to Christians to watch out for what in Romans 16, 17, and 18? 
Those who do what? Yeah, they cause dissension or, or, or divisions and, uh, and offenses contrary to what? Contrary to the doctrine, the sound doctrine that they had been taught. So, uh, yeah, these people are always, uh, they've got a little different angle. They're wanting to cause division. They say, no, we're going to go this way. We want to, uh, contrary to what you, you've been taught. And then finally, um, what does earnestly contending for the faith involve as seen in Jude 3 and 4? I mean, if you're really going to be a contender, you know, one of my, what's that? Yeah, watch out. And, and what are we watching for? How are we contending? Creeps. We're looking for creeps. And, and, they, and they creep in. How do they creep in? Unnoticed. Good night. Shouldn't somebody pick up on these people? And, and what is their doctrine? What, what are they teaching? Um, they turn from the grace of God into licentiousness. Yep. Right. So they are really saying that grace gives them what? Liberty. A license to sin. And what's the sin that's emphasized in context here in verse 4? Sexual immorality. Right. I mean, so, but grace covers it all, right? I mean, that's where they're, that's the, where they're coming from. So, uh, yeah, if we're going to earnestly contend for the faith, we've got to say, no, we are a holy family. We're holy people of God, and we have to take a stand there. Yeah. Oh, it's mega. Well, I think you're right. I think it's, it's what the world is. It's not the whole package, but it's a huge part of the package. Right. Right. Oh, I agree. I think as Christians, we should say, we don't want to have any part of that. Uh, that's not what we're about. We, we don't want to be laughing at it. We don't want to be going along with it. We don't want to just allow ourselves to be entertained by it. We surely don't want to say, oh, it's okay, brother. I know I'm, ho- I'm praying for you. Come on over for dinner. Oh, constantly. It's unbelievable. Uh, and I think... People I know that are Christians are watching all this stuff. Tell me about it. what a great show it is. Oh, that's crazy. You're right. Uh, we have kind of lost our, our uh, sanctification in that sense, as far as being separated uh, from the world. Right, exactly. A person like that certainly is not earnestly contending. They, they've kind of capitulated. Boy, what did Jesus say? I think if you're being entertained by it and you're enjoying it, uh, you've already stumbled. I mean, and, and I kind of have a little problem. It's kind of like, how can, the, how can the Holy Spirit enjoy that? I can see the flesh enjoying it, but you now have the Holy Spirit. So... Uh, my point here tonight is uh, if we're going to earnestly contend for the faith, it means that we're going to take a stand when it comes to sexual immorality and don't just say, well, it's all, it's all grace. It doesn't really matter how you live. Is somebody had a hand up? Yeah, Carissa. Amen. Well, amen. Because it's just, the Holy Spirit is, this is not right. It's not according to my word. You're yeah. looking at it, you're, you're enjoying it. I'm not yeah. enjoying it. Right? So, you know, amen. It's, it's sad, but once you come to that realization as a Christian and you grow in your 
Well, amen. Well said. That is so true. And boy, we always had, we had lots of battles when my girls were growing up. I mean, my standards were one thing and theirs were another thing. And it was just like, I'm this prude over here who, who has not yet learned to enjoy life. And uh, so, yeah, the, you know, it's kind of, well, there's just a few swear words in here where there's just a little bit of, you know, innuendo, sexual, you know, it's like, it's, I'm preparing to preach on Sunday. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, it's the battles of life. I mean, we're all there. So, yeah. I used to get so mad at my mom that she'd say, shut it off, Mark. You know, the chill, whatever. Oh. Watching, she'd say, shut it off, Mark, to my dad. Oh, okay. <laughs> you were losing me there because I didn't know who Marv was. But yeah. anyway, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's right. Okay. No. <laughs> I wish we were at the one speck of pepper state. I, I really wish we were that far. I mean, that is really a high level <laughs> sanctification there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's right. All right. Let's go on to page 169 here. Uh, Paul concludes with what warning in Second Peter three sixteen and 17? Huh? Did I say? Uh, did I say Paul? I'm sorry. Thank you for correcting me. I need all the help I can get. Seriously, I'm I'm not above getting help here. I'm telling you that. Uh, no, Peter. Peter concludes with what warning in Second Peter three sixty and seventy. Yeah, I think Peter wrote Peter, did he? Huh? He said the same thing. Yeah. And what, what is the concern? That you're not carried away by error. Yeah. Lest you... Or uncomfortable men fall away from your steadfast. Right. Lest you be led away with the error of the wicked. Boy. You know, it, that tells me it's possible. Right? It's possible for believers to be led away with the error of the wicked. Certainly to some degree. I, I don't think you're going to go full-blown apostate. But... Uh, there's a warning there, lest, uh, lest you be uh, led away with the air of the wicked. So you can get off track. Believers can get off track. Uh, there's a warning there. Okay, uh, what are the traits of false teachers as brought out in Second Peter 2, 1 through 3? Not that we can list everything here, but what are some of the traits of false teachers there? How do they bring in uh, heresies? Secretly. Secretly. Sneaky little guys, aren't they? Secretly. They deny the master. Uh, you know what that's about? That's a lordship problem. They got a lordship problem. They deny the master. The word lord means master. Exactly. And uh, what else? Okay. They're sensual, they're sensual in their orientation. Ah, they are bad news for the truth. Because of them, the truth is blasphemed. That's true. Uh, what else? Yeah, they're, they're, they're effective in getting a following. I know it's always amazing to me how these people do this, but they do it. They get a following. Did someone mention greed? Not yet. That's it. Covetousness. Uh, yeah, they're greedy. Very greedy. It's all about getting more for themselves. And uh, one other thing here. Ah, they exploit the people of God. They take advantage of, of people uh, for their own selfish ends. Exactly. So lots of, lots of traits with these false teachers. All kind of comes down to fleshy selfism. It's about me exploiting people uh, for self-purposes. Okay, uh, how does Jude describe false teachers in the last time in Jude 17 through 19? Mockers. That's right. Yep. Sensual. Sensual. Yep. We're on a theme here. Cause divisions. Cause divisions. They don't have a spirit. Exactly. 
So a lot of things to think about there as far as what uh, characterizes these false teachers. What are some standout marks of false teachers in in 2 Paul 2? I'm just being funny here. I saw it. 2 Peter 2, 12 through 17. Yeah, they're like natural brute beasts who just do according to what feels, you know, animals operate that way. They just kind of go by whatever feels good at the moment here. Yeah? Ah, that's good. That is good. Yeah. Um, yeah, we can mention quite a few things in those verses there, but how does it end up? What's their destiny? Yeah, the blackness of darkness forever. Yep, exactly. Boy, that's, that's, that's kind of really scary to think about, isn't it? The blackness of darkness forever. I mean, blackness and darkness, what's the difference between that? I think there's just a double emphasis being made, right? The blackness of darkness, and for how long? I mean, I always think about, well, it's hurting, but I'll, I'll come out of it. Nope, Forever. Okay, who are those who are proud and yet knowing nothing as seen in uh, 1 Timothy 6, uh, 3 through 5? They claim to be teachers, but uh, what don't they do? They don't consent to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Yeah, so they have a problem with with the word of God, with, with the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. What else do they do? They're given over to what? Well, yeah. Yeah, useless wranglings, disputes and arguments. They like to argue. You ever get into this with false teachers? Uh, I I try not to too much because they, they just love to go on and on and on. They'll argue all day. I mean, when a cultist comes to my door, you know what I do? I don't say, you know, I'll hear you out, and then you, you hear me out, okay? I never say that. Because you know what? They'll never get done. Uh, I'll never hear them out. Uh, I, I, I dominate the conversation. Uh, I, I trust I do it in a good way, but I totally dominate the conversation because I know what they have to say is worthless. And I'll tell them that. I say, I know where you're coming from. I know your Mormon doctrine. I know where you're coming as Jehovah's Witness. Uh, so let's talk about who Jesus Christ is. Do you believe he's God? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We believe he's God. And I say, no, you don't. <laughs> Not like I do. <laughs> I believe he's God Almighty, eternal God, the, the I am. I cut right to the chase with him. So, um, yeah, they like, to, they like to argue. They, they... No, right. That's right. Exactly. Amen. Useless, fleshy wranglings. Round and round and round. Yep. Okay, last question there on that page, 169. How does Paul describe false teachers in Philippians 3, 2? And then 18 and 19. What are, what are a few things? Not to work. Dogs. Now, this is a question. We had a question about do dogs go to heaven. Right here. Look at it. <laughs> I'm being funny here. But in, in the Bible, were dogs clean or unclean animals? They tend to be scavengers and wild. They weren't like pets like we think of today so much as uh, wild, and they were considered unclean animals. And he's metaphorically describing them in that way. Um, what else? Evil workers related to their conduct. Mutilators. Exactly. Enemies of the cross. Destiny is destruction. That's true. Their, their God is their belly. Yeah. Right. Which means they, they kind of live to eat. I mean, uh, that, 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 they're all about the human appetites, the flesh, and gratifying it. That, that's the idea. Um, and finally, where do they set their mind? On earthly things. Where are we supposed to set our minds as believers? Set your minds on things above. Not on things on the earth, right? That's in the Bible somewhere, isn't it? <laughs> Good job. Colossians 3, 4, or 3, 2. Yep. Okay, uh, next page. Any questions there? 
hate to press y'all, but we've got to keep moving here. Oh my, do we ever. Okay, I'm sorry. Another gear. Page 170. How does Titus 1, 10 through 16 describe false teachers? Insubordinate. There's a lot of things we could mention there, but let's just mention that way. You know what insubordinate people, what's, what's their problem? They have a problem with authority. False teachers always have a problem with authority. Lots of things we could mention there. Uh, and some of it's uh, redundant to, in terms of what we've already covered. But what is the warning Christ gave in Matthew 24, 4, and 5? And, and what are they doing? How are they misleading people? Many will come in my name. Saying, I'm Christ. And will deceive many. So a lot of false, false uh, teachers who claim to be Christ even in effect in the last days. All right, discernment. The word of God is a discerner of the heart. But on what basis can the things of God be discerned as seen in 1 Corinthians 2.14? And, and how does that happen? Uh, ah, by the Holy Spirit. That's right, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, discernment is by the Holy Spirit. That's why the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Their foolishness is him. Why? They don't have the Holy Spirit, right? And if you're going to discern this book, which is given by inspiration of the Spirit, you have to have the Spirit. Exactly. Uh, discernment is the ability to distinguish truth from error. What does Hebrews 5, 12 through 14 teach about discernment? What two aspects of the word do we have represented there? The milk of the word and the meat of the word. Let me ask you, did you eat meat first or milk first? <laughs> milk first, right? I know there's always an exception to the rule. Is there one here tonight? Just kidding. We all are milk drinkers before we're meat eaters, right? The, the milk, and it's all good. I mean, the word is the word. But there are the simple truths of the word. And then, and then you go into deeper things as, as you grow. And, and that involves discernment. Uh, and by the way, how do you get to the point where you have some level of discernment? Right. And I'm thinking, though, of a particular line here in verse 12. Uh, what does he say? You have need that someone... Again, right. So he says, you need somebody to teach you. Discipleship. Discipleship. Ah, there you go. People need to be taught. Yeah, and the Holy Spirit's the ultimate teacher, and you're right. Uh, we spend time in the Word, and the Spirit is teaching us. But God also uses human instruments in the process. Uh, you know, he's gifted people uh, and, and he uses people. To, uh, we, they need to be taught. need to kind of have somebody take them by the hand and, and lead them along. How does Paul's prayer in Philippians 1, 9 through 11 interact with the issue of discernment? What's he praying for? They might abound in what? Knowledge and all discernment regarding what? Things that are excellent. What are things that are excellent? <laughs> well, that's right. You're always right about that. Uh, but the things that are the best, right? Uh, you know what maturity is? It's learning what is best in this situation. Maybe you've got all these things that could potentially be even maybe allowed, but what's the best? And the more you mature, the more you grow in, in terms of what is excellent, Maybe the most excellent thing is that we don't continue to wade through this show, right? Might be the most healthy thing for us. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Okay, uh, next page. Uh, page 171. What is the concern in Ephesians 4.14? And what is the solution put forth in 4.15? What's the concern about? Yeah, toss to and fro. With every wind of doctrine, right? It's all out there. And what's the solution to that problem? But that you may grow up. And how does that happen? We share the truth in love. Yeah, that's how that happens. Okay, wisdom is the godly application of God's truth. What does James 1.5 say to do if we lack wisdom? Okay, how do I handle this in a godly way? I, I need some wisdom. What, what should we do? Ask God. Ask God. Hey, 
is, is that simple or what? Ask God. So he's saying, how do we handle this? I'm faced with all kinds of situations. Right, right now, you know, all kinds of family situations. Uh, yeah, I don't want to get into my family situations, but how long do you have tonight? I'm just kidding. <laughs> but ask God. Huh? One more minute. One more minute. That's right. We got a minute. <laughs> oh, man, that's right. Ask of God. He'll give you wisdom. What does First uh, John 3, 7 through 10 exhort in regard to deception? Don't let anyone deceive you. What, what's the telling thing? Well, if you, the righteous practice righteousness, but he who sins is of the devil. And he's talking in terms of uh, pat, pattern of life here, really. And he's saying, don't let anyone deceive you. Somebody says, well, I'm just living like the devil, but I'm a believer, which I tend to do. Don't let anybody deceive you. You need to be a little more discerning than that. If you're a true believer, it should affect your practice. Not perfectly, but you should at least, there should be something going on there. Uh, what was John's greatest joy as expressed in Third John 4? What's that? Yeah? Oh, me too. Oh, yeah, man. If you're a parent with grown children, uh, even small children, I'm quite sure. <laughs> I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Wow, that, that's, that's powerful. In the context of last day's deception, what does Paul command Timothy to do in, in 2 Timothy 4? Preach a word. In what context? In all the time. He could have just said all the time, right? In season, in season they're coming, they want to hear. Out season, nobody cares. Get out of here, you old fool. We don't want to hear that again. What's that? Ah, yeah, that's right. Uh, last question. What should the disposition of the servant of the Lord be with regard to those in error as seen in 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26? Must not, must not be quarrel or strive, but be gentle or kind in humility. Correcting. You know, that's good for me to read that once in a while. Because sometimes I get kind of upset with those propagating air. And I kind of like to beat them about the ears just a little bit. That's not the approach to take. <laughs> it's not the way to go. Uh, not quarrel, gentle, humility. Okay, next page. What according to First Thessalonians 5.21 is to be tested? All things. Hold fast that which is good. And what is the final warning given related to discernment in Revelation 22? Don't add to it. Don't take away. Where does this come? Is it towards the beginning of the Bible? At the very end. Uh, Revelation is the capstone of the whole book. And uh, so, you know, Revelation really kind of takes the, the prophetic strands of the whole Bible and, and ties them up to conclusion, Tie, brings them all to a, a, a consummation here in the eternal state. Okay, any other input before we have our memory verse? All right, who wants to uh, do First John 4, 1 tonight? I bet we all could. You think so? Beloved? Well, you guys are all really good readers. You know how I know that? I could look at your eyes. Now, Mickey, that was a nice try. See, I even know the culprit behind it all. You know why that is? Because I have discernment. All right. Well, hey, very good. Uh, next week uh, is our lesson on evangelism. So we have like uh, 25, 26, 27, 28. So we've got about four lessons left here. So uh, next week, evangelism. And uh, we'll see what happens Sunday. You know, I haven't talked to the elders yet. I think we're supposed to have a high of minus three yeah. on Sunday. So I'm at all, if at all possible, I'm going to be here so we can, so we can at least uh, do the, the live feed. And whoever wants to come, I think it's kind of every man for himself, kind of like in the days of Judges. But anyway, uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. 
Lord, I thank you that you have given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness, everything we need to sort it out, to, to give us guidance, to give us the wisdom we need. And, and Lord, many times we just need to ask you, Lord, what scriptures apply as far as what would be wise in this situation as far as godly living? So, Lord, help us to stay on track, not be led away with the air of the wicked. We live in last days apostasy, uh, evil, evil times. But, Lord, I thank you that your word ever remains faithful. And help us just to stay on track with the word for such a time as this. Again, thank you for our time together tonight. May it bear fruit in our lives. And I pray in Christ's name. Amen.